Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I started my business, Bia, to help women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Monica Royer, to our show today. Monica is the founder and CEO of Monica and Andy, an organic baby clothing and essentials brand. Monica had no intention of becoming an entrepreneur, but after the birth of her daughter, she struggled to find a brand that offered safe, organic clothing and an easy shopping experience for parents. Monica wanted complete confidence that what touched her baby's skin was the safest fabric available. Inspired by her brother Andy Dunn's success with Bonobos, she saw the potential of direct-to-consumer business models to disrupt and decided to launch her business in 2014. Fast forward to today, Monica has raised millions of VC funding for her company, which is now considered one of the country's most celebrated organic children's clothing brands. The company also recently announced a partnership with Walmart and launched M&A by Monica and Andy and is now in over 1,100 stores throughout the U.S. In this week's episode, Monica talks about her windy journey leaving her career in pharmaceuticals and starting the business, and how despite having an idea, it took her a few years to bring everything to life. She also discusses why managing her psychology was the hardest but most important part of running her business, and she shares the biggest learnings and takeaways she gained from having a front row seat to her brother's menswear brand, Bonobos. Monica also delves into why self-awareness is one of the most critical skills you must have as an entrepreneur, the importance of resting and resetting for true long-term success, her journey in pivoting her business during COVID, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Monica. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here and have a real conversation. Let's do it. I know, I can't wait. Well, I've been fangirling you from afar for many years. I've been watching your journey and really a big admirer of what you've built, how you kind of show up in the world, and you're just very real and honest, which I always say is like a prerequisite for any guest coming. So I know there's a lot we're going to dig into today, so I can't wait. And I'd actually love to jump into a quote you mentioned that really resonated with me, where you said, managing your own psychology must be one of the hardest parts in business. I could not agree more. So I'd love to hear maybe what you mean by that. Yeah, I think it's kind of a little bit like motherhood in this concept that you sort of need your own oxygen mask on first. But I think that there's always going to be drama. There's always going to be crisis. There is always going to be lots of things going right, but at the same time, there's going to be an equal amount of things going wrong. And I think we all lose control of our psychology from time to time. We lose our temper. We get upset. We let a moment get the best of us. And so that's going to happen and that's okay. And that just means that we're human. But I think that being able to get a handle sometimes on the bigger picture and just say, I own what I'm doing. It doesn't own me is like a really important place to come from. And every time like the going gets rough, you know, I remind myself, hey, I chose to do this. This was a choice for me. And so I think sometimes that helps to re-level set the playing field. And for me, that idea of managing your own psychology is multidimensional. You know, my brother started a men's company called Bonobos. He actually had an undiagnosed bipolar disorder at the time that he was running the company. And it was like something that like we didn't really fully realize until it sort of hit a crescendo point. 
And so I learned that for some people, it's like literally managing your psychology. Like you need to take care of your mental health as a human, as an, especially as an, as an entrepreneur. And I think as I saw for him, it's like, how do you like sleep, eat, rest and do all of those things? And that's part of it. But then beyond it, like, how do you not take every day? You Maybe you do take every day up to like a level 10 octane, but you've got to bring yourself back down at some point during the day to just let your, your, you know, neuro system, your, you know, your systems just sort of like come to like a resting point. And I think that's just, it can be really hard to do. Yeah. It's something that, you know, I'm only three years into my entrepreneurial journey and it's something that I think about every day. I haven't figured out the right recipe for me, but I love that you mentioned, I mean, so many things, which we'll dig into, but you're always buzzing at a high when you're running your business, you're passionate, you know, things are hitting you. There's always some problem going on, but that's just like the name of the game, right? Which luckily hearing women like you, I'm like, this is just part of it, which helps my process. But I recently noticed, so on Aura is a ring that I wear for my sleep, they recently launched a stress score. So you see when you peak and then also when you're in restorative, kind of what you were saying, how important it is to kind of relax. And I noticed, oh my gosh, most of my days, I'm kind of buzzing in like engaged stress zone that it's very rare that I'm like taking the moment to restore, which is so critical, especially for longevity. I would think, you know, you've been doing this forever, but yeah, that just kind of came to mind hearing your example. Definitely. And now that we're more like less in the office, potentially where there's some component of working from home, there isn't that like journey home that we used to have Mm. where you can kind of turn off and take that time. And even if it was like, oh my gosh, sitting in traffic, as awful as that was at a time, it was probably a time in which people were at least like decompressing from the day, if not meeting the new stress of the traffic. And so I think that Sometimes at the end of the day, and the coach that I work with, Irene Ortiz Glass, who's been amazing, talks a lot about over time, you can sort of redefine a little bit of like your own neurology by being able to make yourself a little bit more insulated from what would have caused you an extreme amount of stress to begin with. You can build up a higher tolerance to stress, I think over time, where it doesn't hit you as hard as maybe it did in the early days. But to your point, Being able to pull yourself down at least for a few minutes every day, I think is a really important like baseline to re-level set. And that can be for me, sometimes I'll get up extremely early in the morning before everybody else is up. And I'm just like, this is just my time to like zen out. And if it's scrolling my phone or reading a book or doing whatever, it's just like, nobody needs anything from me. So I think it's different for everybody, but I think figuring out how you bring yourself to that that sort of like center point once a day is really important from a survival perspective. And, and one other thing too that I would add is I have another incredible investor, a guy by the name of Bobby Yazdani, and he always thinks about his founding CEOs as athletes. And I am far from an athlete in the physical sense, but he was like, you need to kind of think of like, you're in a long distance marathon. How are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you taking care of yourself? Like an athlete, you can't that's in training, you can't necessarily go out and do what everybody else is doing. And that's like helped me a lot to be like, all right, I, you know, even on the weekend, I have to just like reset and regroup. And that's, it's an excuse to not do anything sometimes. And it's really nice. Yeah, totally. You need that rest and recovery. And I love that you mentioned Bobby Yazdani. This, I'm going off on a tangent, but he was actually critical in my life, leaving the banking world and kind of jump, like launching my business. 
I actually, I'm just sharing in case this is interesting. I cold LinkedIn messaged him years ago and I said, I'm just curious to pick your brains because I want to take the leap. And he was gracious enough to give me his time. I lied. I was like, I'm in San Francisco all the time. I wasn't, but I'd fly up, you know, especially at that moment in my life, I was looking for any kind of mentorship. And he was so kind to kind of sit down with me. This is so funny. I might sound like a crazy person. I actually found his paper he wrote and he was just kind of drafting notes of how I should think about it. I, I was cleaning up my room and I found it and I was like, wow, it's amazing how you meet certain people in your life who could be so impactful. So he might not know what a what an impact he made, but he really is incredible. So yes, I love that he mentioned that to you because that seems like very wise advice of just for longevity and survival to kind of think of yourself like an athlete. And you're not a normal person. You're very different from a lot of people who aren't starting businesses. And that's okay to be different, which yeah, I'm realizing. A hundred percent. And that's so funny. It's so funny that you would know him too. But yeah, it is everybody, every athlete needs like a coach or a mentor too. So I think that's really cool that you were able to have a conversation with him as well. He's the best. He is the best. So power of cold emailing, cold messaging. You never yeah. know, you know, who will take the time. So That's amazing. So I want to now go into your upbringing. You mentioned that you and your brother in another interview, you mentioned that you guys were so different than everyone else growing up. You know, you were in between worlds instead of fitting into any specific world in general. So tell me more about kind of your upbringing and childhood. Yeah. Well, I think the good thing about the U.S. is it's become like such a diverse melting pot where there are so many marriages between different backgrounds and ethnicities and I feel like when Andy and I were growing up, it didn't feel at that time that it was as common as it feels like it is today. And I love the focus today on this next generation's idea of like inclusivity and representation across different cultures. And I feel like we're headed in such a great direction from the way that we're we're bringing this next generation of kids up and the awareness that they have of, of all the things. I feel like when we were kids, you know, my mom was an immigrant from India. She was the only person in her family that married outside of the culture. And my dad's family had been here for, you know, a few generations and, you know, had European backgrounds, but like very different from like that Indian culture. And so I felt like my brother and I straddled between two worlds, like one, which was like this immigrant mentality of like a family that had worked very hard to come here from another place, in some cases, sending some of the money as they worked back home and like having this idea that like, you know, tomorrow was in no way given. My grandmother had been married, I think around the age of 12 and had the first of her nine children at the age of 14, taking it back from there. They had been part of like the partition in India. So initially had been from Pakistan and then were uprooted in that partition. So it was such a different background from where my dad was coming from. And even if you fast forward to today, my daughter was born 88 years to the date of my grandmother and the difference in life wild. between a few generations. And so I think that at the time, there wasn't as much of a conversation as there is today about this idea of diversity and inclusivity. And so I think that we didn't really know where we fit in, in a lot of ways. And I think part of that brought us closer together. It gave us empathy, I think, for people that don't necessarily feel like they they fit in either. And so it gave us just a unique and different perspective that we were growing up than maybe we would have had had my parents both married within their cultures. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. 
I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening. And now let's get back to today's episode. It is wild to think that 88 years from, I believe you're saying your daughter and your grandmother. like, like, born 88 years after her great grandmother. Her great, it's crazy just like how much the generations have changed. Like I think about that for myself and I grew up with very strong women from Iran. And I'm like, my gosh, only in two, three generations, like how lucky am I to kind of be able to work, start a company. And I know at least for you, your mom seems like a very strong personality. I mean, even to marry outside the culture is already like you can tell her personality going against the grain. But I also heard in another interview, you know, your parents really treated both you and your brother the same. So what were maybe some of the expectations? I know what it's like to be part of an immigrant family. So what were their expectations for you as well? Yeah, I think the expectation was you were going to do good in school. At the time, you don't appreciate that or understand that. But when I now as an adult look back on it, my grandmother had a second grade education. And that's where she was taken out of the education system to do all of the things that were happening at that time in India, if you were a young girl, you just weren't, it wasn't a given that you were going to be able to be educated. And fortunately for my mom, my grandfather very much believed in the education of his daughters. I never had a chance to meet him. So I don't know, I don't know all of the whys about it. He actually passed away when my mom was 19 years old. But if you even see today, so many years after his passing, he's still so influential to my mom and her siblings, which speaks volumes about the the man that he must have been at the time that he was alive. And so I think when you see that, it sets the table for like, oh, here's why education is so important. Without education, they wouldn't be able to come to the United States. Without education, they wouldn't be able to to have the the, the life that they wanted to have. And so growing up here, myself, like in a suburb of Chicago, where life was fairly easy, so to speak, you don't really understand that same value system in the way that, you know, my mom understood it. And so I think that that was like one of the most pivotal parts of it. And then I think the second was family is the most important thing. And my mom like came from such a close knit family between my mom, my dad, my brother and I, we were such a close knit family. And so this idea that like family was always first and was so important was also such a pivotal part of our lives as well. Yeah, I love that. So beautiful. It's interesting. So I'm Iranian, my husband's Indian. And I thought we were very family forward, close. I'm like, my gosh, like the Indian culture is maybe even two times that. It's like a whole other level. I'm like, I thought it was just us. No. (laughs) It's a whole other level. And it's so interesting because my husband, his family has also been here for like multiple generations and they have like all these friends. And I'm like, who even has time for friends when you have like like, first cousins and nine aunts and uncles. And like, it's just like you almost, I don't want to say, don't need friends, but it's like such a big part of like the ecosystem of 
of growing up and like where you're spending your time, which is kind of magical. Yeah. It's beautiful though. I love it. It's so, so beautiful. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So clearly, you know, your parents had this emphasis on education. You didn't really think you would be an entrepreneur. So you kind of pivoted and you were in pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry for, I think like over 10 years, I believe. So tell me more kind of looking at that phase in your life, what would be maybe some of the biggest takeaways or learnings that you had when you were working in that realm? Definitely. Well, and taking it back for one second too, like So my brother was a much better student than me. My brother was like truly gifted. He was like a gifted, a gifted student. And I will say to my parents' credit, we never were in competition with each other. We always felt like each other's cheerleaders, which I think is kind of amazing in retrospect because I don't, like there were things that I think looking back on it, like he was, there were so many things that he was good at, but my parents always made us feel like we had these equal strengths. And so I think a lot of that played into like, how our lives then unfolded. So what's interesting is, you know, my brother had like, I think a job in consulting for a few years. I had been interested in going into the medical industry. And actually when I got out of college, I was like, I don't, I don't really know what I want to do next. And talking to so many recent college graduates and seeing people try to map out the future, I'm like, just take what comes your way and give it a try is always like the biggest lesson. Cause like there was nothing about the pharmaceutical industry that I was excited to do. But it was this like incredible path at the time. And I really loved the job. And simultaneously, my brother was going to business school. He was graduating and he was starting his own company and he was becoming an entrepreneur. There was nothing entrepreneurial about me. And everyone wanted to start my own company. I never had a lemonade stand. Like I wasn't good at any of that stuff. But what I did have was like a front row seat to what he was doing at the time, which of course I didn't appreciate. I was just like, oh my gosh, like, well, he survived this. This seems like a yeah. hard job. And because he had this really unstable job and that he was a startup founder, my parents were like, don't quit your day job because we think you may support your brother. And that dug me further into what I was doing. And so that was one of the reasons. may support your brother. That's what they said. Well, they didn't know. They were like selling pants online. Nobody buys anything online. You know, this is 2007. And so they're like, we don't, we don't know what he's, you know, this is just like this direct to consumer brands. Like we've never heard of this, right? He was one of the pioneers in terms of online and what that would look like. And so, yeah, I think my parents were concerned at the time that it was like, again, the path of like the immigrant family, this was not a path that my parent, that my mom especially knew, like this seemed risky. And so more as like the dutiful sister, I was like, all right, like I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm like at this really solid job and career at the time. And then what was so exciting is like, as I had my daughter and, you know, I started immediately thinking about all of the things from an organic clothing perspective and like all the things that I wanted her to have. And I remember being like, should I actually like what I couldn't find it? Like, should I start this? And my brother was like, Hey, if you're thinking about it, like it's kind of a now or never moment if you're going to do it. And so like complete fools, we both embarked on being entrepreneurs like at that point. And I think that was like, at least he was like closer to like the end of like what he was doing at Bonobos at the time, although we didn't know it, but it was definitely like crazy times. And then I married, my husband also became an entrepreneur. So for a while, like all three of us were raising money and in the middle, it was just like, it was crazy time. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. And I know, I mean, me and my husband are entrepreneurs and I know it's not like a nor we don't have kids yet, but I'm sure it's, it's not a normal family dynamic. There's a lot going on, I'm sure behind the scenes and your brother's an entrepreneur. So it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, you never were that kid with a lemonade stand. You really actually enjoyed your job. You're doing well. And I think that's important to emphasize because sometimes people think like there's a certain way to be an entrepreneur and just kind of seeing you versus your brother. And I don't know too much about your husband, but I'm sure he has a different path. Like there's so many ways you can kind of enter this field. And I think the biggest thing is just figuring out a problem that you genuinely want to solve. And that hit you right when you were pregnant. Yeah. I think sometimes you find entrepreneurship, but in my case, entrepreneurship found me. And I think it can go either way. You know, I think that I wasn't looking to solve a problem. I wasn't looking to do anything different, but what I discovered as like a new mom was at the time, there just weren't brands that were like serving new moms in the way that I saw Bonobo serving their customer and having that one-to-one relationship. And I was like, there needs to be something more special here, more driven by community, like more driven by unique product. And so I think that it's never the path that I wanted to take. It was sort of like the path that found me. I love that. And you were open to receiving it, which is like incredible. And what I love so much about your journey is you had the idea, but there was a lot of moving parts and it did take time from the idea to launch. And I want to kind of unpack that a little bit because sometimes I think people think it's like you have an idea, you start the business, you know, like next year, and then it's all, you know, successful from there. But there's so many things that come up on the journey. So maybe can you share more about when the idea kind of hit you and the progress you made on really like in the first iteration of the brand? Definitely. And I would say too, even from like when the idea hit me, and the entrepreneurship found me, I will definitely say it takes a village to be able to accomplish it because not for the support of like my brother, my husband, my parents, it's like an all in sport and everybody has to be supporting the entrepreneur and you need to be supporting people in your own personal relationships back, obviously, but everyone, you've got to have that support network and like, you've got to have people around you that are bought in because there's going to be days that they're going to, you're going to fall and they're going to need to catch you and they're going to need to put you back up. And so I think that's a key part of the journey. If you get into like the real, like the, the real crevices of it that I think is like really important to know. I love that. And what you're saying is so true. And I remember even from interviewing entrepreneurs myself, it's like, whether it was like the founder of Allbirds or Away or whatever, like you always think these things are an overnight success because you're like, oh, I'm hearing about this everywhere. And it turns out there's like five years at least before you ever heard of it, that they've been grinding to try to make it happen. And so I would say that, even today, I'm surprised if anyone's heard of Monica and Andy, to be honest. Like you you end up living in such a bubble anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You forget like that, you know, if, if people even know what you're doing or what, what the company is. But I think it's like, it's literally years in the making. It's at least five years of doing something. Depend. I mean, obviously there's, there's exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, it's like, it takes time to connect with the consumers. It takes time to get the product right. Like there's so many different components to building a business. Like none of it happens overnight. And that's why entrepreneurs have so much grit and like so much like the, because you really have to love it in order to stick with it. Cause like nothing is instantaneous. Gosh, there's so much gold in what you said. And you know, one thing that I just want to highlight, I love what you said about that support system that people around you need to be bought in, whether it's your friends, your family, if you have a partner, I can only imagine you even having a young child at the time, how even more important it is for your partner to be 
supportive, you know, in kind of this journey. And it definitely helps, I would say, because there are some low lows. And if you have someone that can just be there to listen and support you, it is huge, huge. So I, I love that. That really hits home for me because, you know, I just give credit to my friends around me, my husband, my family, everyone. They're just so incredibly supportive because what we do again is not normal. There's random things that can happen where you're, you're in the nitty gritty. You have to go to manufacturing. You have to last minute leave like there, who knows, right. What the day will serve you. So, <laughs> so it is nice to have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, one thing you mentioned that I love is, you know, sometimes it's just about getting started, maybe taking the first step. And you mentioned in another interview, you know, sometimes in business, you don't need this like big business thesis. You just have to get started and kind of learn. So what did that look like in the early days? Because I know you guys have pivoted so much to now, but from the idea phase to, you know, when you launch your first store, what were those first steps kind of looking like for you? Yeah, I think what was interesting is that we decided to do online and offline simultaneously. So when we launched, we had an online presence, but we had a physical store here in Lincoln Park in Chicago. And it was the most fortuitous thing because I guess in a bad way, we barely sold anything online for the first few years because we were selling it all in person. So like that was maybe not the best, but on the flip side, we had our office in the back of that store. We had a chance to meet our customers every single day and see what they thought about the product. It helped us to hone it, to iterate the product, to learn about what they liked and to learn about who they were. And that was like such an important part of the brand that, that we would become. It was like this hub for community. We were able to get people together. And so, so much of the energy of those early days became the fabric of what we really built the business on. And so I think having products that you test, that you fit, that you see what happens and being able to like understand how consumers react to that in this world that's so online is really hard to do. And so we had the special treasure of being able to like see things and do things in person at that time that really helped to propel like the the community and the brand forward. Yeah. And I know you, even to this day, and the brand is obviously significantly bigger and different, you're still in touch with the customer. Like, don't you like go in and read at least a few emails every so yeah, often? Yeah, I love to yeah. go in and like try to read like 20 customer service emails or so a day if I can. Like, I love seeing the reports from like our customer service team and understanding like reading what happened in the stores or like what people are saying. And we get to learn a lot from that too. Sometimes you pivot the product, people have great ideas, there's things they love, there's things they don't like as much. And so I think always having like a pulse a little bit on that can be so important as you build the company. For sure. And you know, one thing you mentioned, which is so cool, you know, you had a retail store, you were selling online, but you were selling out so quickly in retail. So you couldn't fulfill as much as you wanted, but how did you kind of create that early awareness? Cause it seems like you did pretty well starting out. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I think that there was something about being in person that created that buzz that allowed people to know that you were there. And it's so funny. I remember even with Bonobos where they were online only for so long and they were like a big online business. And then they started to have storefronts and people would be like, whoa, there's a store. This is incredible. There's something about a physical store that I think people just get really excited about. Obviously, like the cost of having a physical store is not inexpensive. So it's not like something that everybody can necessarily do, but it is something that like you can drive people to and traffic in a way that's like somewhat easier, especially at the early stage of things than having to drive it online. And so we had art, music, story time, lactation classes. I just, I had like a, 
three going on four year old at the time. And so I was like, what kind of activities? There was a lot of other parents that were building the business by that point along with me that I had met that were like, whether it was like running the store or doing our pick pack and ship or any of the other number of things that were happening, that virality of like the team that we were pulling together helped to build the authenticity and the reach and draw more people to coming to see us. Yeah. And I feel like the brand itself was, it's still so unique and innovative and like the community aspect is incredible. So it, it was nice to see you're doing classes that is authentic to you and probably a lot of other moms who are in the similar position. So you had a great brand and built community, which was like the ethos of Monica and Andy from when you started. So it's so cool to see the success there. And one thing that just came to mind, you know, when you decided to officially take the leap, were your parents like, oh my gosh, now we have two kids in this entrepreneurship land? Or were they a little bit more secure kind of seeing Andy's evolution? Or was it still early even for him back then? I think we eased them into it in a state where they were blissfully unaware of like all the stress that was to come. In all honesty, because I just didn't go back to my job. So I like took my maternity leave and then I I, I spent the next three years at, at home, but I was working on this on the side for that three-year period. So I think like they, I just lulled them into not really realizing what was going to happen. And then it went pretty full throttle after that, like maybe three or four years later. So I think because I wasn't doing it full time, I had a baby, I was a new mom, but I was like chipping away at it, like nap time, bedtime and like, and the cool thing was I was learning all about it. Like it was, it was natural that I was like, oh, and parents don't have this. And like, we need this as a resource. So it was almost just like, it all came together for like the reasons that I would want to build the brand just from what I was learning at the time. So it was never like, here's this grand business plan. It was more like, oh, here are like the problems to solve and the things that parents at this stage of time need. And so that kind of incubated everything that was to come but I don't think like the real work and high and low stress didn't come until like after that. So it was like, we didn't, we didn't really see it all coming. I know it's so interesting because I, and I also love that you mentioned, you know, you were a stay at home mom, but chipping away at the business for three years. Like, I love that. I actually, a lot of women, and I'm sure you get this on your podcast too, come up with their biggest ideas or business pivots when they're pregnant and they're kind of have that space to reflect. So it's just so cool to see that you kind of took advantage of that opportunity and were kind of working on it during nap time and when you had availability. And the funny thing is I... I remember thinking like, oh, this will be great because I'll have my own company and I'll have so much flexibility yeah. in my schedule, which is just laughable, really. I mean, I think like, of course, there's like flexibility and I appreciate that. Like, I'm going to drop off and pick up and I do the things that I want to do as a parent. So I have deep gratitude for that. But I mean, as you know, the job never, ever, ever, ever ends. And so there's that too. And you know, it's no, there's no like out of office, so to speak, in some ways, at least. And I've learned more about my personality. I am somebody, and I've learned this through the executive coaching that I've done is like, I'm all in. So whether it's business, whether it's parenthood, like my personality is just all in. So I kind of don't know how to turn things on and off in like a normal human way. I know. I feel like I'm like you too. Again, we don't have kids yet, but like anything I do, I'm like so all in. Sometimes I'm like, I wish I was just chill and did my own thing, but I'm like, that's just not who I am, you know? So I have to honor and just lean into it. And I think that's another thing too, if you're an entrepreneur is like understanding 
having somebody, so you've got your family around you, you've got your friends, you've got your potentially spouse. And those are all people that have to be like somewhat guarded in what they're telling you in like a way that like, you know, I think having a coach and somebody that's just going to tell it to you like it is, is really, really important because it allows you to get to know yourself better in a way that, and I've just learned a lot about myself and things that like I didn't really realize before. So I think over time in entrepreneurship, building self-awareness is really a critical skill. And I'm still on that journey myself. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like just starting a business, no matter what phase you're at, it's like a path of self-discovery. You just unlock different versions of yourself and you're put in just new situations where I'm like, oh, I never knew I had that shadow side of me, or I didn't know that I would create this story in my head about this one situation. So it's just, it's interesting how it just uncovers so much of you. So self-awareness and working on yourself is like, critical if you want to like move along the journey, right? It's like part of the journey. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's so interesting. And it's good to hear like how important having a coach or someone is around you. It's something that I, I've kind of tried different things. Like I tried a therapist and it was interesting. Every call was about business. And I'm like, am I a crazy person? Like it was about how to navigate a conversation or this. And I kind of put that aside. I tried it, but I think, you know, finding a business coach might, might be a better fit. So it's cool to kind of hear your perspective around that. And And I think both are helpful because there's times with the coach where it'll be like, okay, this is bordering on therapy. I see, you know, so I think it's like, it's helpful to have both. Yeah. And I'm circling back on one thing you said, because it's so true. And I, I did not know this when you're working on your idea, it could feel a little stressful, but it's actually the fun part. It's like, once you're live that your life completely shifts, right? Like the stress level and the impact. And it's like, all right, my baby's out there in the world. I got to make sure it's running, people are buying, especially in the early days. So it's just interesting to see the difference between working on the idea. And like, I'm bringing that up because I feel like sometimes people stay in that phase a little too long. Like they want the logo to be perfect. They're like, Oh, put the colors. And I'm thinking to myself, like, just get it out. Like this, this is like the easy part. Like don't sit in that for too long. Cause it's not the reality of what business is like. You might as well just like get started and learn. Then like, think about like the font size of like the logo or something. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's like, to your point, it's like, there's things that you can, that you can tweak and there's things that are just like, you've just got to get out there and test. And I think that, you know, the real responsibility too, is like when you're responsible for other people's paychecks, when other people are counting on you to make payroll and to do things like that. And I think that's when they, that's when the stakes go up. Yeah. Right. Totally. Um, When, when you have like, to your point, a responsibility to your consumer, to your community, to your customer, And then a deep responsibility to your team as you build that too. It's so interesting. And, you know, I had a conversation with someone the other other day. They're not a founder, you know, which is totally fine. I I don't expect them to kind of know what happens behind the scenes. And they're like, oh, you must be so busy with like your podcast. Again, this is like a side thing. Like my main thing is, and I'm sure you get this all the time, like is my business. And they're like going to networking events. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if you only saw the real behind the scenes of like, there's no 
time where I'm not thinking about the employee I'm paying, the customer that had an issue, a manufacturing delay. Like, so it's just interesting because it made me realize, you know, you're going to feel misunderstood. And I didn't defend myself. I was like, oh yeah, you know, but it kind of got me for a second. But I'm like, people don't need to understand the real behind the scenes of like, there's not a time where you're not really off. And that just kind of came to mind when you were kind of explaining you have the flexibility, but it's a different kind of freedom that comes into place. Definitely. Where it's sort of like, it becomes almost like a limb, so to speak. It becomes part of you. Yeah. And so it's just like, it just becomes part of who you are. And so there's no way to separate it. Yeah, totally. It's it's part of your life in like a really like systemic way. Totally. No, I love that. It's so true. And one thing you mentioned, which I've been thinking a lot about also just kind of seeing my husband, he's a founder and, and CEO as well. You mentioned that there's so many differences between, you know, female founder and CEO compared to a male founder and CEO. I'm curious, like, what do you think are the biggest distinctions between those two. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest distinction is the amount of capital that we have access to. And I think that makes a big difference. I think the representation in like the venture capital world, the representation amongst, you know, people that are making the decisions of like where money goes is definitely much more dominated by males. And I think that that causes a cascade of like great businesses that, you know, women are controlling the purse strings of so much of what like a household buys. And yet we have so much less say in the things that are manufactured and made from like a VC standpoint. And so I think that I actually think that there's like lots of people that have raised awareness and people that are thinking about it. I like to think a lot about my daughter's generation and where we could really make a big impact on the next generation of girls. Because is at what stage, like, how do we get more of them to go in and build their businesses, right? How do we get more of them into the venture capital world? And so I think that to me, that's the biggest disparity is the amount of access to capital, which has such a cascading effect throughout the market. Yeah, it's so interesting because I don't know if this stat has changed over the years, but it's something like 4% of women-owned businesses break the million dollar mark. And I'm just like, what? So it's like so many, I mean, as you mentioned, like we're the main consumers in our household, like so many women are starting businesses. And I'm always thinking about how do we like make sure that they're continuing to build these sustainable companies, you know, as they go along. So it's interesting just to kind of think about all this. It blows my mind. I'm like, there's so much opportunity there to support. So definitely. And thinking about getting into that next generation of girls and like how we, how we change the way that even they start like feeling like they've got a seat at that table yeah. and there's no question about it. I think it's really important to instill in this next generation. It's interesting. One thing you mentioned earlier in the interview about how your parents kind of parented you and your brother that I love, it's kind of somewhat of a tangent from what you said, but it just came up is like how, even though your brother was much better academically, they never made you feel that way. Like you had the confidence Clearly, I could tell, like, as you kind of have moved into the world of starting a business, a podcast and doing all these things, it's cool how they parented you to not compare yourself to someone else and to just be like, you know, you have the confidence you're good at what you're doing, because so much of that is like what allows you to take these risks and prosper in like the real life. So I love the parenting and how they've really brought both of you up. It's so cool. Yeah. I think we, my brother and I often say that like, we'll never win the lottery because we did when we were born. Like we did with our parents. They were just like wonderful humans. And so if there's an idea that you're not going to win the lottery a second time, like we are, we already did with them. And I think they did everything right. And it doesn't mean that they're perfect people or we turned out to be perfect people or anything like that by any means. 
but you know, a lot of times when my mom is like, I spend lots of time with both my parents. I actually live a single condo floor oh, below us. Oh, I love that. That's like, Chicago, yeah, I love is, that. Which is really nice. Uh, and for a while, my brother actually temporarily lived in the same building as he was like buying his new place here, but he lives like maybe a mile away now or something. And, you know, my mom was saying that like, and I can't remember how she says it, but like, it's all about like the time that they spent with us. And it doesn't matter like the quantity of time, mm. you know, parents have like can have busy jobs or whatever, but it was like, there was a quality to the time that we had and that we spent together where we just, we felt my mom fully worked and, and, and did things as well, but we felt like we came first. And I think it's the feeling that I hope my daughter gets despite how busy we are is like, I think if your kids feel like they come first and so there was no competition between us, you know, and my parents constantly reminded us and we fought a ton as kids. So it wasn't like we were like getting along like great when we were like 10 or 12 or whatever. I think it's very normal for kids to like fight and to argue about stuff, but you know, we just, we had this feeling that we came first to them. And I think that that's made a big difference to our ability to have confidence as adults. I love that. And I get a lot of women who write in who are, you know, always asking like, let's, let's chat more about like that mom guilt. You know, I feel guilty when I'm going out and working and I have kids. And again, that's not something that I have gone through myself yet, but what advice or recommendation do you have for that? I know you mentioned, you know, you kind of grew up seeing your mom work and it, and as you're now an adult, you're like, wow, that individual time that she like was fully attentive to me is all that made a difference. So how have you kind of tackled it? Or have you ever had that mom guilt? Oh my gosh, of course. Yes. I've had that mom guilt a ton of times. I don't know that if I've tackled it particularly successfully. I mean, I feel like it's just, it's something that comes with the territory, but I think that again, I just try to prioritize where I can and what I can do. And I try to make sure that my daughter knows like, there's nothing more important than her to me. And that doesn't always mean that like, I'll, I'll be able to do every single thing that she needs me to do or to be at every single thing. But I hope I'm giving her the feeling that there is nothing more important than her from like a priority perspective. And so I think one of the things that's helped me is I don't think there's any one size fits all thing to parenthood. And so I've learned that I try not to compare her to other kids, but to really think about like what at this stage that she's at, does she uniquely need for me? And I've been fortunate. I'm well, fortunate, unfortunate. I've had multiple miscarriages. So I just have her, but the silver lining in just having her is like, she's got to come a lot of places with me. And I don't know if I had multiple kids, if that would have been as easy for me to be able to do. And so it's fun that like, I've got in some ways I've been able to bring her along on this journey to board meetings. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily into the meetings and to like our meetings at Walmart and all of this other stuff. And so in my particular case, as she's gotten older and when I was, she was younger, my mom would have to come or, you know, I would need a lot of help in order to be able to do it, but it's become kind of like our thing to be able to do some stuff on the, so I feel like I've been able to blend a little bit of what I've done together, which I think is probably like unique, but there's times that I say, Hey, I have to do this for work, but like, here's what you and I are going to do together. And this is the fun that we're going to have. And so I think every parent deals with it, but it's going back to that idea of putting your oxygen mask on first, that you need to make sure whether it's a workout class or a trip with your girlfriends or whatever it is, that's important. It's a different thing of value to everybody but that you're able to do things that make you as a woman feel like you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your child, I think, can come to appreciate that you that you did 
like have that like self-interest to, to the degree that like you'd want to instill in her, in her too. Over Exactly. I was, I can't remember who I was talking to, or maybe it was something, a podcast I was listening to, but just kind of, kind of going back to what you said, put your oxygen mask on first. And it's like, your children are watching you. If you're not taking care of yourself or doing what brings you joy, whether it's work or taking that time with your friends or, you know, taking that moment, they're replicating kind of what you're going through. And I look at my mom growing up, you know, I feel like generationally we're getting better at that, but her generation, you know, now she's changed, but like, it was always making sure everyone else was okay. There was no thought of herself. And you know, now she's kind of come on the different path, but it's like, you want to also be a good example for your kids to be like, mom also takes care of yourself. And that's why it's so important for you also to take care of yourself. Definitely. I think that's, I think that's so true. So I think mom guilt just comes with the territory and that's okay. You just have to make the best decisions for you and your family and feel confident in whatever those are. And those aren't the same decisions other people might make. And that's okay too. Yeah. It's like going back to being okay, being misunderstood, because you're going to do things differently. Right. And I love that. I think that's so true. Yeah. And that's so amazing that you bring your daughter to, you know, all these meetings. I'm curious, like, is she interested in business kind of having you and your husband as entrepreneurs? Like what's her perception? Definitely doesn't want to go into business because she's like, that is like way too much work. You see uh-huh. that now. And then once she's older, yes, it's going to change. It's going to be totally different. But I think she loves it. I mean, I think she's had a lot of fun. And it's like my small investment in like changing that next generation. Because I feel like sometimes it just starts with like, I have access to be able to change the way that she thinks about the world. And so I've been focused on being able to do that. And I think it's been a lot of fun for both of us. Mm-hmm. I love that. So beautiful. Well, going back to Monica and Andy, I know during COVID, so much of your business changed like many others. Can you kind of share maybe some of the challenges, but also opportunities that kind of came from that time? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was such a crazy time when I think back to it. It's like manufacturing fell apart. The world fell apart. And I think that, you know, I think it forced us to build a resilience in founding teams to be like, how will we survive? Like, and, and really asking ourselves at the time, like, what does the community need? I think like our team, no credit to myself, did such a good job of like pivoting to online programming. And that programming was all about like what to expect when you, when you go to deliver your baby in the hospital at the height of COVID, like there was really significant, you know, we were servicing a community that was terrified of having babies during that time. I mean, there were people like their whole pregnancy, like there was no COVID. And then there they are two months out and suddenly like their husband can't come in with them or their wife can't come in with with them for the delivery. And it was just unbelievable, I think. And so I think the team did a really good job of like, all right, what kind of programming does the community need? Because now this is like, we love our art, we love music, we love story time. But now this is like getting real in the sense that like, there are significant health concerns and nobody wants to spend more time in a hospital during COVID than whatever they needed to be able to do. Right. And so I think it was a complete pivot on programming. We had some products. I mean, we, we, it was like two years before we really had like fully in stocked product again, but we managed to survive and I think to thrive. And, in, and that was a lot in partnership with just like making sure that we were there as much as we could be for the community that was out there. And that continued to evolve over that two, you know, two plus year period. It feels like this is the first year that things have really come back to normal. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like even last year, I feel like was still strange. It is true. In some ways. 
I'm in a different industry, but there was still supply chain issues. Like there were still things happening. I'm like, what's going on? So I think it's still hard for all retail businesses. It's really hard to benchmark performance year over year anymore. Like there, I think since COVID, it's just been like, it's just been such strange time. So it's hard to be like, oh, this is like a normal year. Like nothing's gone back to the predictability that I think you had before that. And maybe it will, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I know, and remind me, I think you guys also, a few years after COVID got into Walmart as well with a partnership there. So tell me more about that. Cause I thought it was so interesting. In another interview you were, you were saying during COVID you had to like reconfigure your supply chain, get different manufacturers. So coincidentally you had the foundation in place to even scale for something like Walmart. Cause that's like a whole other ball game. It's so very how, true. Yeah, I'd love to hear more yeah. about that. It's very true. So during COVID, we, we've always worked with GOT certified organic factories and that GOT certification just speaks to the quality of like that, the entire supply chain that we work with. But during COVID, we had to rebuild that entirely. And we consequently ended up building it with like much bigger factories that could deliver on like much bigger, like minimum order quantities. And it wasn't that we had those yet. And then we stumbled into the Walmart business, which was really exciting. And so to your point, because we had rebuilt the supply chain, because of COVID, we just happened to be poised to be able to scale to the level that like Walmart would want you to be able to scale to. And so we launched in about 1,200 Walmart doors about a year ago this month. Um, they've been incredible to partner with, such good humans that work there, people that know their business so well. They serve their customer first, like all day, every day, delivering the very best at the everyday low prices of Walmart. And so for me, it was kind of a dream to be able to take this organic first lifestyle that we feel so passionate about and to build this brand called M&A by Monica and Andy, which is the brand that we have at Walmart and deliver on like the same pillars that we feel were so important around organic and quality. But to be able to do that with this, with this brand at the everyday low prices of Walmart and to be able to meet their community with this organic first lifestyle. And Walmart has done such a tremendous job leading in organic in shopping grocery, they have so much organic product. So it was, it's really been exciting to have that and to be able to do that in the baby apparel there. I love that. Yeah. I mean, making it just so accessible and organic, all things. I love how they are taking the lead. I actually did not know that, which is incredible. Oh my gosh. They're, and like the, the scale at which they operate and those teams need to know their business. It's incredible. I would imagine it being very cool to get like a behind the scenes look at one of the largest and most successful companies. Like you mentioned a few, but like anything that was interesting that you've brought into your own business by witnessing how they operate. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, well, I feel like going to Bentonville, Arkansas is like, it's such a cool place to visit, which is where the Walmart headquarters is. There is a Walmart museum. that's all about Sam Walton, oh, cool. who is the founder and CEO of Walmart. And even like the principles by which he ran his business and like the idea of like, you know, there's concepts that you learn just from like learning a little bit about him and these ideas that like give your team as much information as possible. Like they will become better. Like it'll become a better team if they understand like the why behind what they're doing. Like, I think there were so many principles of the way that he built Walmart that any person running a business could learn from. It's really cool to see like the, the way that he thought about team in the future. And this idea, especially like you were this idea that like, you don't need to necessarily deliver a million things, which is obviously what Walmart now does, but like he's really focused on quality and value. And like that proposition is what drove the Walmart business and propelled it forward. 
And so there's this like almost like magical connection between the team where like everybody is like so synergistic across all of the, like this massive fleet of stores. And I was even telling my husband a lot of times now um, we'll stop wherever we see a Walmart, like especially if we're on a road trip and going somewhere to see if there's the product. And we just love going to Walmart. Oh, like there's so, so cool. great things to buy. Yeah. And even the greeting that you get from the greeters that are there, it's like, I can't think of that many stores that you walk into that you're as warmly greeted consistently wherever you go in the country at a Walmart. Like somebody's going to be like, Hey, welcome. And like, even able to, to make that happen across 5,000 spaces. Yeah. It's like that, that value of team that, that had to start with the founder and is got, is there still long after the founder's death to me is like kind of incredible to behold. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I want to dig into, I, you know, I know a little bit about the Walmart founder, but now I'm going to dig into all things him because I'm so inspired I oh my gosh. Said. And if you go, it's like, it's at the headquarters. It's like the only reason I've learned this is you can get these little notebooks and it has like different things that he says. And like every single one of them, you're like, this is amazing. Yay. You know, it's just like, so I, again, I don't know as much about him, like specifically as like a human, but in terms of like the values in which he built the business and the things that he said about it, are pretty amazing. Oh, I'm so excited. I love it. Well, I know we're coming up into time, Monica, but I'd love to maybe ask, you know, what's next for the business? What's getting you excited? Anything that you can share? Or even it can be from a personal life perspective, like what are you kind of looking forward to? Yeah. You know, I'm really excited about 2024 because I think to what I was saying before, it's been such a harrowing path through COVID to, to date. We launched our, our inaugural business with Walmart a year ago. We're now a year into that. And so what I'm hoping is that we're on this path now to really like steady and consistent, like just steadiness and consistency throughout the organization. I feel like there was, you know, we were early days in the startup before COVID, then COVID brought like zero consistency to the day to day. And now I'm excited to have a year where the team, it's like, I, and I always tell the team that's like, we couldn't work harder as a team. There's no harder to work. Like this is the hardest, one of the hardest working teams in the business. How can we reuse, recycle? Like how can we almost bring more calmness yeah, to the day-to-day totally. in a sense and think about like, okay, we know who we are in the direct consumer business. We're learning who we are in this world that we, that we get to work with Walmart. Now is not the time for us to diverge into a hundred different places. That was the early days. Now we need to converge on the things that work for our team, for our community, for our consumers and do fewer things, but make sure that we're doing them really well. And so I look forward to like the calmness and the confidence that should come with the ability to say yes to many things, but no to many things as well, and really be directed in our choices over the year. And so I hope that that shows to our consumers. I hope the team feels that. And I hope that we bring like a year where we feel like true consistency in the lifestyle that we're able to lead. That's huge. I mean, I can only understand it's probably been just nonstop pivot, launching new, 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 figuring things out. And this year it's like, or next year, reflecting on all these shifts that you guys have done and just like, how do you serve what you've built and to create that calmness. So I love all of that. And I'm just so excited to see what is yet to come for you. And Monica, this was so much fun. I feel like I could have talked to you for much longer, but thank you. I know, this one guy's so fast. I know, I'm like, how is it already an hour? But no, this was amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thank you. This was awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.